Hello Saints, this is the recording for the 18th of July and um, it's actually still the week before we, the weekend before we are leaving for Bloemfontein. So Nadia is uh, currently busy editing and um, I'm going to record this teaching alone because we are running out of time and um, we're trying to make up time so that we can have this teaching ready for the weekend when we are away. Okay, so we are going to um, continue with uh, the very last bit of our uh, series, uh, The Human Mind. And um, today we're going to look at what the Bible refers to as the heart. And um, we certainly know that uh, it's not a reference to the physiological heart, the organ that pumps the blood through um, the uh, body. We therefore know that when it is a reference, when we see a reference to the heart, um, it certainly isn't a reference uh, that can be correlated in any way to the organ that sits um, at the left hand in uh, someone's chest. So, how did it happen that we have two parts of the human uh, body called the heart, according to the Bible? Did the Bible make a mistake? Is it a, some weird reference? Um, so, we've got to go all the way back and uh, try and figure out when did humans figure out which organs in the body does what? And I'm not going to do all that research. So, what do we know? We know that there was a time long, long ago when uh, humans were not quite sure how the human uh, body worked. They didn't, uh, for instance, know where babies came from. Uh, and so, we had the um, superstition that uh, stalks had something to do with the delivery of a baby. So, uh, people uh, kind of were afraid that if a stork landed on their roof, they might get pregnant. So some people that didn't want more children would uh, chase the storks off the roof. And uh, in Europe, storks like to build their nests on people's chimneys. So um, this is where we come from. Humans didn't always understand how things work. But in the language of the Hebrew people, there's a reference to, to the heart. And um, if we look at the meaning, the root meanings of this word that is used for or translated as heart. Remember now it's translated as heart. This would refer to the uh, center a place at the center of the human being. So it's simply a reference to uh, the center, the, the, the middle uh, point of a human where the emotions and the motivations are um, conceived. So the place, the, almost the source of the human being. So the original idea from the scriptural uh, uh, Hebraic mindset was that there was a place at the center of the human being 
there, there was a source. And from this place, the motivations flowed. And from this place, emotions uh, flowed. And so there is a consciousness and a thought process that's now ascribed to the heart. So now if a person in the uh, pre-medical days had to look inside of the human being, then the uh, seeming center, the one place in the heart where life or in the body where life seemed to emanate from would have been this organ right here. Even the earliest of observers would have observed that there was blood pumped from here all through the body. And so um, it would make a little bit of sense to assume at first that this was the center point, the middle point. kind of sits uh, at the center of up and down and left and right, although it's a little bit off-center, um, but it would make sense. Uh, the concept of the brain and what was happening inside here would have been absolutely unthinkable, unimaginable to early man. Now, that was a lot said about something that's extremely obvious, but we have to start somewhere. So what we are going to do is we are going to explore and see what the Bible says about the heart and what flows from the heart, the state of the heart of man as um, expressed in the Word of God. And we know that this wisdom uh, is higher than the wisdom of man. But um, as we go through what they ascribe to the heart, it's very clear that thoughts and motivations are ascribed to what is called in the Bible the heart. So when we read heart, remember it's a reference to a place at the center of the human being. And from our study on the brain and the psyche of uh, the human being, we now know that if we had to identify one very central organ or place, then it could either be the nose or it could be this area of the brain right at the back and the center that is connected with the spinal cord and connects from there to the rest of the brain. Now we know that at the front we have a frontal lobe. This could be a center point of the human being. But we know that if there's one thing that's at the center of everything that uh, we are, everything we feel, and every motivation and inspiration of the man, it's all in here. And so, we are going to uh, look at what the Bible says about the heart so that we can know what the Bible actually says about what's in here, the thoughts of man. And especially somewhere within all of this where it refers to uh, the central point, the place where of origin, the source of what makes a man, a man, and a woman, a woman. In their thoughts, the motivations of the heart, that which motivates us, drives us, inspires us. And uh, we know that emotions has a lot to do with how we're going to act and react. 
Uh, emotions has a lot to do with how we make decisions, how we respond to each other, how we respond to ourselves, and how we respond to God. And so uh, we now know, uh, as uh, in, in the fairly modern times that we live in, that, uh, motive, that, that emotions are the consequence of the human uh, physiological system um, creating and excreting uh, a wide variety of hormones and pheromones and all kinds of things that are pumped into the blood. So basically emotions boil down to the brain and some other glands excreting certain uh, substances into the bloodstream. And that has a huge effect on us. But we do know, and this is very important, that emotions is the result of a physiological process. And emotions is the consequence of a physiological process. So it is the, uh, it, it's caused by a physiological process. It's the consequence of a physiological process. And so emotions, as intense as it is and overwhelming as it is and as important as it is, is the result of a chain reaction within us. And this chain reaction starts somewhere deep in the recesses of our minds, our brains, our psyche. Now we've spoken about ID and its function, also the two files that we find uh, uh, governing a wide variety of the uh, impulses that's going to be sent to the rest of the brain from ID or ID. We um, know that as uh, impulses uh, course through the brain, it can uh, trigger a whole lot of responses. And so um, it's a complicated system. But we are focusing in on how this affects our spiritual life. Uh, we are focusing in on if the Bible is teaching us certain things and we can understand how physiologically we can work with what our physical, physiological system is doing. If we can understand what our thoughts are going to do. If we are triggered in a certain way, then we should respond in a certain way. Then we can uh, see more of the results and we can partner more with what the Word says. We can also... Um, enter into a deeper state of self-control if we understand that this is going to trigger me and this is what the Bible advises me should be a good response to that trigger and so we can start to minimize the harmful uh, responses. We can even start to minimize the triggers that's going to come our way. One of the ways that we minimize triggers is we uh, minimize the time that we spend with unrenewed, unresurrected people. We start to order our lives. We bring order to our lives through a process of wise decision-making. And through bringing order, we should be minimizing the triggers that's going to have an influence on us on a daily basis. Now, for those of you that's been around for a while, you will remember that from the earliest days when I met 
um, some of you, and I met uh, Anuska and uh, Leon and Anna first, and Johannes and Nadia, and, uh, and Ilza, she was there. All of you would remember that um, I used to emphasize a lot uh, that we do have an influence on the flow of thoughts and the way that our minds are going to process and function. Remember that. Now, we have spoken about the flow. We've explained the flow between id, ID uh, ego, and superego, and the rest of the brain. We have pointed out how important it is to flow within yourself with the spirit so that you can flow uh, with other members of the body, uh, so that you can flow with the entire body, and in that you can be doing, practically living out the will of Yahweh, and especially according to the image of Yahushua. We call that, all of that, all that I just said, we call that walking in the spirit. So the uh, source of our emotions, our thoughts, our actions, our decisions, now becomes the Holy Spirit. Right. And if the Holy Spirit is now uh, residing in the place that uh, psychology calls it, or ID, in a certain center of the brain, that sends impulses to the rest of the brain, the, that, that contains and... Um, and controls the basic base impulses, needs, and responses of a human being to the outside world, then um, we can get somewhere when it comes to understanding practically how to walk in the spirit. But there's a flow. The Bible calls this flow peace, um, calls this flow rest. The Bible calls this flow wisdom. So now, when we refer to the flow, we are referring to wisdom, to godliness, we are referring to self-control, we are referring to peace, peace and rest. Now, that's the flow. So when I emphasize that we should uh, develop and nurture a continuous, constant, steadfast flow within ourselves, the flow between the different uh, aspects, elements of our own psyche, so that our uh, emotions can also become uh, godly and ordered, uh, then uh, we are referring to the very process of becoming Messiah-like. Now, I'm going to ask you, at this point in time, what in the world around us has the most impact, the greatest influence on our flow as an individual? Is it the weather? Is it really your finances? Is it really um, just bewildered emotions? I find that the one influence that is of far greater importance in my life 
then any other influence when it comes to my flow is that influence is other human beings, other people, the people around us. Now we cannot walk out our faith without the others because we are to be a body and we, uh, the gift that God has given us is fellowship. In fellowship with each other we grow or we are supposed to grow. In fellowship with each other we can express those things that will abide and that is faith and hope and love and we can express all of those things and we live out a flow of those things that abide by being in fellowship with each other. But the moment that we include other people in our lives, we open the door for someone else to act in a, a non-wise or a non-considerate way, in an ungodly way even. We open the door for someone else to not be as orderly and steadfast as what I'm trying to be, and that can cause a break in the flow within me or you or any of us. Now, I sometimes speak to some people and they're fine. It's just they don't realize. They don't, they, they, they're not even um, aware of the influence that a break in flow is causing in their lives. might be that they're still just too used to um, a, a bit of disorder. But the more, the more we uh, cultivate this flow, orderly flow, within ourselves, with other words, we are directing our hearts and our attention to uh, fine-tuning to the Holy Spirit inside of us. Because we want to hear His quiet voice uh, pick up on every um, uh, instruction that He is sending through the brain. Uh, every motivation that's coming through the brain should be f uh, coming from Him and we should be fine-tuning to really pick up on what's important and what's coming from Him and what's coming from me, what is random and what is specific. And I'm hoping that I'm expressing myself clearly. That that flow is going to become not just a flow, but a fine-tuning to the Holy Spirit at the center. The thing I've realized is that as a person is, uh, matures or is supposed to mature, the Holy Spirit actually speaks in a quieter voice. He becomes more subtle. In the beginning, he had to be uh, very insistent because I couldn't hear and I couldn't understand and I didn't have the information. So to help me, he had to really intervene. But he's not going to continue to do that. As time passes, he's going to expect you to learn his language, learn his movements, get to know his movements, and understand his movements. And so this process has to get refined, because if, he, if it doesn't, if a, person, if a person is not paying attention to refining it, then they will revert back to just doing things the way they used to. And other signals and other triggers will uh, motivate them and will uh, activate them. This is the danger we have. And in this whole process, 
I wanted to just um, remind us that you have an influence on everybody around you. If you get triggered by an impulse that is a self-impulse, a selfish impulse, and you just respond to it without checking uh, and without uh, putting checks and balances in place when it comes to wisdom, wise action, necessary action, then we can, be, we can cause a break in the flow of the people around us. This is always uh, something that we should pay a lot of attention to because it's one of those dangerous aspects of fellowship and relationship with everyone around us. Sometimes I'm happy with the way things are going, but for me to be happy, I have to change everybody else's flow around me so they can flow with where I want to flow, and that makes me happy. It's just going to make everybody else uncomfortable and less happy or less um, at peace. And so we've always got to watch out for that dynamic. Now we are going to uh, just focus on that central part, the center of the human being, the heart. So let's just first follow a very uh, restful process, reading through some of the scriptures that refers to the heart of man. And we're going to see some of the um, keys that people like King David is going to hand us when it comes to renewing the mind. So let's just make sure we understand each other. I'm saying that the reference to the heart is that place that is called id or id by psychology that used to be me, myself and I, all about me. And in baptism, I have brought myself to a place where by the mercy and the grace of God, in His righteous judgment, I die to myself and I am resurrected in Messiah Yahushua, according to what it says in Ephesians, that I've been raised with Messiah and seated with Him in heavenly places in Messiah. So, now, it means that I'm in Him, and we know that He pours His Holy Spirit out in me, or... I am immersed in His Spirit. So, that portion of the brain that is the uh, primal brain is still going to function in its original functioning. But, it is now light and no longer darkness. Renewed, the old man has been put off and the new man put on. And the way of redeeming it by the Spirit is that that has been immersed in the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit now has gained all authority, power and dominion over my basic faculties. I am still going to enter into a process, a willing, humble, obedient process of seeking Him to renew my mind. He's not going to come in one go and just change me from one state of being to the absolute uh, opposite and I would not then understand what has been 
happening, how, what it took, what the difference is. So for the sake of a witness on earth, and the testimony of His goodness, His grace, and His mercy towards me, He involves us in a process of renewing the spirit of our mind. And He convinces us step by step, uh, from the inside, from His goodness, with His mercy and His grace and His gentleness, His loving kindness towards us, He calls us continuously into uh, intimate relationship with Him. And to have that, we have to start seeking Him. So we respond to some impulse that He is sending from His presence through my psyche. And I respond from myself in decision making to seek Him, as I, to draw near to Him, and then He draws near to me. And this process if we understand it, we can fast-track it. We can engage in it. And we can give ourselves to it uh, to a much deeper level than we could have ever understood before. And so let's see if we can have more clues regarding this process. Him seated on His throne at the center of my being and from there establishing the kingdom of God in me. And he does this firstly by drawing me to the Word so that I can uh, learn what the Word says. And the Word is then programmed into uh, superego. And we know that the Word is the Lord Yahushua and represents the will of the Father as fulfilled in Yahushua HaMashiach. And so Superego is transformed into his image just by reading and believing the word and understanding the word. Uh, as I continuously submit that uh, old id that is now submerged in light and in the goodness of the Holy Spirit, less and less of that will function and survive and more and more uh, he will fill me uh, all in all from holiness to holiness and glory to glory. So, this is how you become holy. Separating yourself more and more from old thoughts from you, the you uh, inspirations and needs that was there before, from the people and the world around you, uh, unto His thoughts, His will, His inspiration and His influence. So, what am I saying? Renewing the mind is literally seeking his influence intentionally and then uh, having so much of his influence all the time from the inside and from the word that it is slowly but surely influencing you so much that you uh, become less and less. You end up having much less of an influence than what you used to have. And he gains all influence. Now that sounds right, because he is supposed to have all authority, all power, and all dominion in heaven and on earth. So, let's go to the book of Genesis, chapter 6, verse 5. And we read in verse 5, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart 
was only evil continually. And this is now the first mention of that concept. Very early on, um, before humanity knew much about the physiological working of the human organs and the human brain, uh, there's a reference in the very early days when God is about to pour out His judgment and His wrath upon the earth. And it says that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Now, that could just refer to deeds and general uh, lifestyle, but it goes further and it explains where this problem comes from. It says that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And here we see a uh, reference that there is a functioning of the heart that thinks. So, now we very clearly know that it can be no other part of the human psyche or the human uh, body or being than the mind, the brain. There must be a function uh, of the brain that's now called heart because it says the thoughts of the hearts. And it gives us the piece of information that uh, when it comes to man, it was only evil continuously and it speaks about the intent of the thoughts. So that very uh, basic originating motivation, the intent of the thoughts are evil. And that gives us a clear indication of the state of man. Now, I've said this many times before. I want to remind us that a person that does not have the Holy Spirit in him and are not in Yahushua HaMashiach cannot be good. They can have learned behaviors that cause them to do good things or act in a good way, but the motivation is self-promotion, uh, survival, um, fitting into society, having a good rapport, having a good report, uh, self-image. It's all PR stuff that causes anybody to be good. They convince themselves they are really good, but the deepest motivations would be self-preservation and um, self-promotion. That's what it boils down to. So a person without the uh, Lord Yahushua or Yahweh in His fullness, which is the same thing, is not good. And the Bible itself says that uh, there is none good but Yahweh. And here we see it already very clearly expressed in the book of Genesis. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9. Okay, chapter 17 verse 9 says, the heart, is, the heart is deceitful above all things. The heart is deceitful above all things. It means that there is nothing in creation that is as deceitful as the center part of the human psyche, the heart. So when you are dealing with an unresurrected person, know this. That there is nothing more deceitful than the basic center of that person that, from which flows the intents and the motivations of that person. Now they'll process it 
change it, refine it. But we've got to understand it's deceitful. Now, what's deceitful? It's not a clear, um, obvious evil. It's deceitful. It means it makes plans. It, it hides things. It, um, it, it will address things up. It will conceal things. That's deceitful. It um, will uh, speak truth to conceal a lie. And it will do good to hide wrongful motivations. Deceitful. So, verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? He ends this uh, thought. The prophet Jeremiah ends this thought and it says, Who can know it? Now, if if they had put ID in there, it, it would have been perfect. Because the place he's talking about that we cannot know is this very uh, center point, the uh, place at the center of the human mind and the human psyche. And then the Lord says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways. Now that's scary. If God was just looking at our actions, our basic deeds, and we don't do anything exceedingly wrong or evil, then we could get away with it. But this says that the Lord searches what's happening in that dark space. And He says, that uh, he tests the mind. This is a huge revelation. Because now it means that even the man that's telling himself he's good and pretending to the rest of the world around him that he's good, he is benign. He is not dangerous. He is not a threat. He is um, not to be worried about. There's no need to be concerned about that person. It says the Lord will test his mind. Oops. And we know that a man without the indwelling spirit will not pass that test. Okay. Psalm 51 verse 10. We are going to see King David's response to understanding... His true state. King David that was chosen at a very young age. And um, God looked at him and he instructed his prophet to choose him. And yet, here we see that this King David, at a later stage in his life, after God already confirmed him, chose him, had him anointed, he is going to pray. This very important prayer, and thank God that he did, because it gives us such a big insight into what our response should be when we've learned of um, the possible evil and darkness that, that used to dwell in us. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. 
Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Here he says, create in me a clean heart, O God. So what he's referring to is he's saying, create in my physiological brain, my mind, my psyche, at the place that we know as the basic human brain. Um, He says, create in me a clean portion of my brain. He's basically saying, create in me firstly a clean ID, a clean ed, so that the rest can be restored. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. And we know that in our time, this is a process that happens after baptism and we can continuously ask for this according to what has been done and given to us in baptism. But we can actively search for this, pursue it, and continuously ask God because that's what the Holy Spirit is busy doing in us. And if we actively look at it and choose it and pursue it, then we're working with what the Holy Spirit wants to do. I'm hoping this is opening up uh, all kinds of possibilities for you looking at this piece of of Scripture. Um, He says, Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation. And my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. See, now this is, it links into Romans 8 where he takes the condemnation away when we walk in the Spirit. So King David is drawing near to God in reminding and seeking the renewing of the mind. And he says, take my condemnation, my guilt, my feelings of guilt away so that I may praise you. And he says that because you renew me, and you cleanse me and you bring my mind into light and into the Spirit, you also set me free from guilt and the bondage of guilt, and therefore I can sing and I can praise you and I can bring glory to your name. So, very important uh, reference because it brings us to what we've said before. We maintain an uprightness in the sight of God by virtue of His righteousness that He imputed to us. And this is extremely important that we maintain a clear flow of righteousness, of forgiveness, of salvation. The helmet is salvation. The helmet of salvation is what we cover our thoughts and we keep our thoughts by the knowledge and the belief and the reality of salvation. It's His very name and that's why we put our hope in His name. I'm hoping that makes sense. So wonderful, go read uh, Psalm 51 over and over and remind yourselves of it. And respond in the same way. Respond to uh, the Lord. Now can I quickly speak about that response? Okay, so Yahushua, the risen son of Yah- Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. He is seated on his throne in heavenly places. And so in responding to him. You respond to Him in the Spirit because if you have been resurrected, then you are with Him and in Him. And so you respond where He is seated in heavenly places. We respond through Him to our Father who is all in all Yahweh. And we respond to Him because we are part of His household 
and we have been accepted and restored to his heart as we are now part of Messiah, in Messiah, and in effect, we are altogether Messiah. Therefore, we respond to Yahushua seated on his throne in glory. At the right hand of glory and power Yahweh. And we can through him respond freely and we have free access to our Father. But we have to remember his spirit and have no, he, have, he has no form. And so we can respond in calling out, in petitioning and in closeness and drawing close with intimacy, intimacy to the Father. But there's another response that is to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has been poured out and sent to this realm, this earth, where you are in your circumstances and more importantly, in yourself. And within the Spirit, the kingdom of God is within you. The Bible says so. And so we are in the Spirit and He's in us. And so when, when we draw near to Yahweh, we respond in the Spirit, to the Spirit, that's not only in us, but also with us and around us and upon us. Because He now has full uh, control and access to your entire being. That's why you can feel His presence with your skin. Because He's not only in your head, He's in your entire being. He is a, your being. He's, he's on you, around you, upon you, and in you. And so we can respond to the Holy Spirit in split seconds all the time without going into deep prayer because we are together all the time. I'm hoping that helps when it comes to responding. So responding like King David, we respond literally to the Holy Spirit that is here, that is our salvation. In responding to the Holy Spirit, you are always responding to Yahushua on His throne and in glory. In responding to the Holy Spirit in you and with you, you are always responding to uh, the Lord Yahushua, the Messiah, King of Kings, uh, seated in heavenly places in all glory, with all power and with all authority and dominion. And so, never separate that. In responding, in adoration, in obedience, in surrender, in hum humility, and in, um, in, in seeking with open eyes, with an attentive mind, with a seeking and a longing heart, responding to the Holy Spirit, to Messiah Yahushua, we are always uh, drawing close to Yahweh, our Father. And so... Uh, although we respond to them in different places, we never want to respond to Yahushua, the risen Son of Man, Son of God, here, because He's not going to come down and leave His throne to come to where we are. We have to respond to Him in the Spirit, in glory. Uh, we are always still, when responding to the Holy Spirit, responding to Him as well. And when responding, drawing near to Yahushua, seated in heavenly places above all things, we will automatically, without referring necessarily to the Holy Spirit, we will automatically respond from the renewed spirit in us, 
which is the Holy Spirit and the new man together will respond from that place. So, um, just so we understand that we respond to the Holy Spirit here instantaneously and by extent we respond to Yahushua. When responding to Yahushua there in glory, uh, in the Spirit, we do that from the Spirit in us and from that oneness because that is His Spirit and they are one. Um, and we'll, uh, with time, we'll look more at, at that again because I think it's very important for us to understand that well and, uh, and have that uh, in our understanding. Okay. We're going to Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel. I hope I'm not doing too much. Um, as far as I can discern, it's kind of one flow in the same direction. So remember, we're talking about uh, the part of your brain that is that's Ed or ID that is now indwelled by the Holy Spirit under His control and influence, but we still have to choose to respond from there only out of His control and influence. This is a flow, um, and we understand that the potential for this evil has not been taken away. It's been subdued and, and under the control of the Holy Spirit because... Uh, the mind itself can still uh, be evil, but the basic impulses is now coming from light and from goodness and from resurrection, no longer from darkness. Okay. We are in the book of Ezekiel, and uh, we're going to chapter 11. Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 19. It says... And this is the Lord speaking through Ezekiel and prophesying, Then I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within them, and take the stony heart out of their flesh, and give them a heart of flesh. There was a stony heart in their flesh. He will give us a heart of flesh, but this heart will be one heart, in his people. It's very important to understand that what has been renewed in you is the one. And uh, our understanding of Messiah is Yahweh is one and, and Messiah is one. We are his body and he sees us as one. And what he put in you is the same, exactly the same one as in everybody else that's resurrected. So he will give this. He will give us one heart, he says, and I will put a new spirit within them. And that's a singular, a new spirit. So now we're going to Ezekiel chapter 36, and we are going to read verse 26. So 36 chapter 36 verse 26 says, I will give you a new heart, and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh. And give you a heart of flesh. I will sp 
put, I will put my spirit, Holy Spirit, uh, capital letter, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. This is phenomenal, understanding that uh, this is the way that the Holy Spirit comes. Now the Holy Spirit, I have to emphasize, although we are identifying that the renewal is the, a specific part of your brain, renewed. Physiologically, you are renewed. Okay. Now, the Holy Spirit lives in you, but He reigns. He's probably seated in this part of your brain, your physiological mind, brain, your system. And He says here in uh, verse 26, that I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. You'll take your heart out. And in verse 27 he says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. So this Holy Spirit indwelling with full control of your faculties, your brain. Remember the heart is the center point where the emotions and the, the, the motivations flow from. This place where the basic inclinations happen, basic motivations happen. It's the place where the spark uh, emanates from that sets everything else in motion. And this is where the Holy Spirit has, rules and reigns. He's holding the reins, he's pushing the buttons, he's got the controls, he's got the steering wheel. And from here he says, I will cause you. So through His Spirit in us, He's going to cause us, He's going to, to ex, exert an influence and an authority on the rest of our brain, our mind, our functioning. And He says, I will put My Spirit within you and cause you to walk in My statutes and you will keep My judgments and do them. This is now a direct correlation between the renewal and what you're going to do. Who you become and how you serve God. And that's why we believe that nobody can serve God without the Holy Spirit. Yahweh cannot be served or satisfied without the Spirit. And we know the Bible says that those who do not have the Holy Spirit does not belong to Yahushua. And so, this is why the Israelites didn't and could not keep the law because they uh, didn't eventually come through the law to this place of faith so that they could receive this promise of the Holy Spirit within them. Um, and without baptism, without dying in baptism and being resurrected, this does not happen. And so there's millions of people trying to, to serve Yahweh, but they're not serving Him by His Spirit. And they have not seen this fulfilled in them. Because you have to vacate the control room if you uh, want Him to come and put His throne in your control room. And from this control room, He is going to start to cause you to keep His commandments. This is good news. Um, so we can put our trust in what He's going to do. And we no longer have to depend on my best efforts. Because my best efforts uh, failed dismally every time I tried to serve Him. 
But now the focus is different. I'm going to submit to him, wait and wait on him, respond. Wait on him, respond. Wait on him, respond. Wait and respond. But it has to be a clear response to a clear directive. A clear response to what is clearly coming from the Holy Spirit. And when we're in the way and we're still trying to, and we're sitting there, look, the thing we want to avoid is, he's sitting in the control room, watching the monitors, knowing exactly what's going on all through your being and in your life. And you don't want to be the one at the side saying, look, can I maybe, what do you think if I go do this? That sounds like a very good deed for me to do. And Holy Spirit, what do you think? Is it your will that I maybe uh, do this and that? And, and I don't understand. Is it really your will? Uh, when are you going to tell me to go do this? Because that is what uh, we could be, the nagging, um, impatient uh, goody two shoes that want to uh, nag him to tell you to do something when because you think out of yourself it's a good idea, um, or we are not quiet enough to hear and to wait. So we could be running around doing all kinds of things. It's when our mind gets busy and we get busy with all kinds of other thoughts, and when he does want to give you a, a directive and an instruction. Then you get confused because now you were busy with this and you thought that was right. You were busy with this and you thought that was right. And you thought this was what he was going to tell you to do. And now he gives you a directive and you go like, I'm confused because it doesn't line up with everything that I thought was going to happen. And I thought needed to be said. And that's one of the biggest problems with already resurrected, renewed people that's why they get confused because we just cannot wait and be quiet and remain in a flow he will guide us he will cause you to do if you will just stop doing now there's the other problem and that's passivity when actually when he does move us and he does give us a good idea of what's going to happen next sometimes the inspiration comes like a breeze uh, blowing through the leaves and um, we're too passive uh, so we miss things and we don't do things and um, that's the other danger so it's an attentiveness an attentiveness a readiness but not a, um, a busyness if that makes sense right now that was that was a lot I'm just filling in how this works from here, how it should emanate from here. And it must be a flow. It can't be a, a spark here and then a little explosion there and then nothing and then uh, ups and downs. It can never be erratic when it's the Holy Spirit. It is going to make sense, be sensible, be orderly. Um, one thing will flow out of the next, out of the next, unto the next. And um, if we don't get in the way with me, myself, and I, and what I want to be doing, and I want the attention, and I actually want to do more, and I'm impatient, we get in the, uh, into the, in the way with that. The flow is broken, and then you can't figure out what comes next. You can't even figure out the last thing you did, if it was right, was it correct, was it him? 
because if the flow flow has to be once you get to know the flow and move in the flow and the flow stays the same you get to understand the flow <coughs> okay Proverbs 4 verse 23 Proverbs 4, verse 23. It says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. And here, we are commanded to keep your heart. So, although he's in there, and he is in charge, you still keep it in a certain state of being. You keep a certain stance and a certain positioning. You keep it. Because out of it flows the issues of life. Now we know that a lot of the issues of life, we could have avoided. Uh, or it could have been positive, restful. Um, if we had just allowed him to guide us, lead us, through His Word and by the indwelling of His Spirit. And if we, um, yeah, if we spoke less, acted less, less rashly, if we kept it, kept ourselves in a positioning, if we made sure the inclination that I'm feeling is right, is good, um, is sound, makes sense, is wise, will have a good consequence, is not centered on me, uh, then we can avoid a lot of the issues of life. But it flows out of there, and that's why you have to keep it under control, keep it under His control. Okay. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. says... Let us draw near. Okay, I'm going to read from verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Yahushua, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us, through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now, yeah, he, uh, this scripture confirms to us that if we are right, and the, what is referred to as the heart is actually this place at the center, the basic stem of our uh, uh, thought processes, the source of uh, our reactions, our responses, our motivations. If this is true, that this is the heart, then he says, um, 
He tells us, draw near with a pure heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. So the blood was applied to this part, and this was cleansed and washed and renewed. And your evil conscience is now no more, and you have been set free from it. And therefore, we can draw near with a true heart. The heart is now true. What is true? True is straight. True isn't just truth. It is straight. It is not crooked. Crooked. It is not wicked. Wickedness means not straight. Crookedness means not straight. And true means that it is straight. Down the line. And because he sprinkled it, it is now not bent, but straight. Okay. And he says, so, we can draw near with a true heart in full assurance. Now, why is this important? We have full assurance of faith. Now, we know what faith is according to Hebrews 11. And now, we draw near with a true heart. This means that knowing what we know, we don't have to waver in our thoughts. We don't have to search our thoughts and see if everything is <coughs> pure and have doubts and double-mindedness when we try and draw near to the presence of holiness. We can go to the Holy of Holies and draw near to the Father who is holy um, because of what we know. Because this is true. He's not going to move in and out. He doesn't come and go. He's there. And that has been sprinkled and renewed. And we are in the process of renewing the mind. Right, let's look, go to um, just some more clues as, uh, to what God says about the heart. Let's go to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, um, verse 45. A good man out of the good treasures of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasures of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Now this goes together with if you sow to the Spirit, you'll reap of the, to the, of the Spirit. Now um, this is very practical. If you Continue to fill your mind with negative thoughts, with doubt. If you insist on going back to old thought patterns, and we have more of a substance, a total volume of what happens in you, um, of the evil of the world, the doubts of the world, the um, negatives of the world, then we'll bring that out of the storehouses. But if we partner with the Holy Spirit in us, according to His Word in us, and we fill those places with goodness, with soundness, with grace, with forgiveness, with truth, with um, all, everything that it says about love, then eventually that will be what comes and flows out of this place of the heart. Now remember, the heart is going to send signals to the rest of the brain, <coughs> to ego and superego, and uh, 
said you wanted to bring good things out um, of this place. S let's go to Psalm 26 verse 2. Psalm 26 verse 2. He says, um, again, uh, King David says, Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart. For your loving kindness is before my eyes. He's saying, because your loving kindness, this is what I'm looking at, this is what I'm feeling my mind with, you can try me, you can prove me, you can test me, you can look at it. It's presenting it to the Lord, His heart and His mind. Combining the heart and the mind in this scripture and um, just further evidence to what we are busy teaching as far as the mind and the heart is concerned. Right. Now let's go to John chapter 14, verse 27. He says, Peace. Now this is the Lord that is speaking to his disciples, or also to us. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So he's saying because of his peace, and we did refer to it in the previous teaching, it refers to covenant, that because of his peace, that he, his peace he gives us, his covenant he gives us, his assurance he gives us, his state of mind he gives us, our heart, that's the, this peace of the mind where the very centers of fear, anxiety and worry is located, so in the idea, the id, this is where fear and worry and anxiety is located because of the two files. He says, let not your mind be worried. This is just a very important key to us understanding how to overcome fear, anxiety and worry. And uh, let's go to Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. Now it says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and it, it is a discerner of the thoughts and intent of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him, to whom we must give account. Here we see that the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's a discerner of the thoughts and intent of the heart. Now, I cannot place enough emphasis on us discovering the truth of our secret intents. Those motivations of the heart that drive our actions. We dress up. Uh, the motivations through good actions, 
and we try and hide motivations and we have to be aware of those motivations. You know the dangerous motivations is when I have a, uh, um, when a signal is sent, when, I have, uh, when I'm activated by something from the subconscious and I set my sights on it and I want what I want, I will do whatever it takes to get what I want and especially when it's unnecessary things, things that are not of great importance, not contributing to the movement or the momentum or the flow, I will try and make it seem like it's important, make it seem like it's of servitude, make it seem like it's for the body, but at the deepest level, it's for me, it's because I want it, because I've been triggered and I want it, those things are what we have to discern, what we have to find, because the word is going to go and cut into through all the bull. The word is going to cut through all the nonsense, all the lies, and we end up feeling uh, disappointed in ourselves, disappointed in others, when we allow these secret motivations of the heart to drive us. There's these little inclinations that drive people. And please, we have to uh, learn to uh, discern and identify these things very quickly and decide, is that really what we want? Self-motivations do harm. It's destructive and it will cost you the most. It's going to make you unhappy. Um, we think we're going to be satisfied. We think we're going to get something out of it and we might get what we wanted. But um, sometimes we get what we want in the moment but we do so much harm to relationships, we do so much harm to the trust that others would have had in us. And you know what, sometimes we think we did hide those motivations well, we covered it up, and uh, there's people that notice and people that know. And then um, so many of us have had to uh, go through the experience that we were building relationships, we were drawing near to people, and then all of a sudden people draw away from us. People kind of uh, are not so open to spending time with us anymore. And we wonder why. What did I really wrong? I brought you a gift. I brought you chocolates. I was nice to you. I phoned you. I sent you messages of encouragement. Why are you drawing away from me? Why are you pulling away? And uh, it's because sometimes they picked up on the secret motivations of the heart that we covered up so well. Because we wanted it to be about me. I wanted what I wanted. And those things come out every now and then. But it does harm instantaneously. And so we've got to watch out for those things. Um, so we are going to end off with Ephesians chapter 4 verse 22. I think we've um, read enough of the scriptures so far. And uh, <clears throat> I think we've done enough. <coughs> my throat is dry I've spoken too much so I think we can actually uh, start bringing this teaching to to a landing um, chapter 4 of Ephesians chapter, chapter 4 verse 22 it says um, we are actually going to Read from verse 17. Listen carefully. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord 
that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds, having their understanding darkened, futility. That is um, unproductive, um, unfocused, un uh, disorderly. The futility of the mind, the things the mind does that doesn't have eternal purpose. The things the mind get busy with and want that is not connected to the eternal purposes of God. Futility. And um, it says, do not walk in the futility of the mind, having their understanding darkened. So they had understanding, but when futility is, um, uh, if, we, if we give space for futility, so if it is allowed to also function while we are gaining understanding, then the understanding will be darkened by it. So futility will steal from us. Uh, the little bit of extra, so we're doing the things of God, we're gaining understanding, but we're allowing space for futility. The futility will cause darkening of the understanding. Being alienated from the life of God. Now this is what happens. So remember that the Holy Spirit gives life to the mortal body. Um, so the flesh, by the, by the mercy of God, that died in sin. We were resurrected and then the Spirit gives life to the mortal body, although the actual old uh, s uh, center uh, core of the human have died in baptism. The Holy Spirit now from there gives life to the mortal body after you died and are resurrected. And now it says that... Um, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God. And because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. You have not so learned Messiah. Which means they learned Messiah. They did walk in the Spirit, and they could gain understanding, but there's something that we can still do and allow to come in. And this will actually cause the life that flows through us from the Spirit to, to not flow through us. And we can be cut off and separated from that life. Now that's not losing salvation. That's just what's going to happen in here, in your thoughts. That's when we go back to worry, anxiety, depression, doubt, double-mindedness, selfishness, and then we become unhappy, we can be depressed, we can lose vision. This could happen even if you are resurrected. That's why we have a focused, devoted process of working with the Holy Spirit, seeking Him from the inside to follow Him and let Him lead us. And this is what I wanted to share with you this evening regarding the heart. Have a wonderful weekend.